Foundation. I'm Michelle Cordero, and this is Heritage Explains. I always dreamed of traveling to Paris. Who doesn't hope to one day see the Eiffel Tower sparkle at night, visit the Louvre, and eat rich, buttery French food? So when my husband told me he had a work trip planned to Paris and I could tag along, I was very excited. A lifelong dream, a bucket list item, and even better, we'd be going during the Christmas season. Just think of the strung up lights, the Christmas markets, French mulled wine. But there was one thing that worried me. Terrorism. Call me paranoid, but because I work at the Heritage Foundation, I know that France is by far the most targeted for terror plots in Europe. And those threats only increase over the holidays. Since 2014, France has had 30 terror attacks. Germany has suffered nine, the UK eight, and Belgium seven. For three days, France has been gripped by an unfolding drama of unprecedented violence. The terror that was unleashed as that first burst of gunfire ripped through the Charlie Hebdo office on a quiet Wednesday morning in Paris and sent shockwaves through and Europe. we are coming back on the air right now with more on that horrifying night in Paris. Police have now confirmed at least four attacks in the city of Paris tonight. One at the Stade de France, where there was a major soccer game between France and Germany. Two more attacks in central Paris in the 10th and the 11th arrondissements at restaurants in that area. Gunmen with Kalashnikovs reported and killing several on the scene and the most horrifying attack of all at the Bataclan Concert Hall, where an American heavy metal band was playing tonight. Hundreds inside, several hundred were held hostage for a period of time, and now the AP is reporting that at least 100 have been found dead inside that concert hall. At least 70 people have been killed in the French Riviera city of Nice after a truck driver ploughed into crowds gathered for a Bastille Day fireworks display. In an attack like this, all you can do is run. Chaos in France once again. A night of celebration forgotten in an instant. Surviving is all that matters now. We begin with breaking news coming in from Paris. A terror attack in one of the most famous tourist spots in the world. Gunshots ringing out on the Champs-Élysées, usually packed with people. Of course, many of them tourists from all over the world and the United States. Last year, the State Department issued a travel warning for Americans visiting Europe, with the targeting of Christmas markets specifically mentioned. In our world today, the fear of terrorism when traveling to Europe has become a new normal. But this year, it seemed so far that perhaps the threat was decreasing. The State Department says terrorism around the world is on the decline. Their new report claims the U.S. and its allies are making strides in the fight against ISIS and al-Qaeda. But officials warn both organizations and the countries harboring them are still a significant threat. Much of the mainstream media has been focusing far more on domestic terrorism. And honestly... I hadn't seen any coverage of major or minor incidents. And then last week, the deadly attack by a gunman at a Christmas market 
in Strasbourg, France, was an unwelcome reminder of the threat Islamist terrorists still pose in Europe and around the world. So what's really going on? Is Islamist terrorism in Europe on the decline? How much is the media really showing us? Today, we talk to Robin Simcox, Heritage's Margaret Thatcher Fellow and expert in terrorism and national security. Robin, over the past three to five years or so, it seems that the new normal in Europe around Christmas time is to expect multiple Islamist terror plots or attacks. Why do terrorists make threats to the West around the Christmas holiday period so often? Well, there is obviously the, I mean, the first thing to say is that the uh, threat from Islamist terrorism in Europe is is a kind of constant, steady drumbeat throughout the year. So it's not entirely focused, of course, around Christmas, but you're certainly right to point out that there is a, uh, in recent years, there's been a whole series of plots that have been um, planned for this time of year. I think there's a couple of things going on. Um, first of all, there's the the symbolism of the fact that this is a Christian holiday. Um, it makes it a somewhat appealing target for for um, some of the Islamist terrorists operating in Europe. And secondly, obviously, with things like Christmas markets, you have a large convergence of people and often very soft targets. I mean, we saw this, I guess, most devastatingly in the uh, December of 2016 when um, uh, someone called Anas Amri took a, a truck and, and killed 12 people and injured 48 in the Christmas market in Berlin. And obviously, we've just seen a similar thing happen in, in Strasbourg in France. So... Um, it's uh yeah it's it's an appealing target and obviously the the problem is is that um you know there was a there was a in response to the Berlin attack there was a desire to encrypt put more barriers up right and present prevent these kind of truck attacks happening again but of course a guy with a gun as was the case in Strasbourg um it, it kind of it doesn't those defenses don't really apply in that kind of situation. So, so far this season, you mentioned the attack in Strasbourg last week. We haven't seen anything else just yet, God forbid. But has this threat gotten any less concerning this year? Well, the numbers in Europe, I, I keep a uh, a database for heritage and, and we publish papers on this um, that provides a statistical look at the at the the ebbs and flows of the threat in Europe. Um the the data from that the heritage has been putting out on it is is goes back from January two thousand and fourteen. So my numbers show that the threat in two thousand eighteen has been less than it was in the previous three years. Um, that is to be somewhat expected because now we've taken retaken this territory that ISIS was controlling in Iraq and Syria, and so I think some of the momentum for the group has been dented, albeit temporarily, probably. Um, but that's not to say that there is the threat is is uh, not something that people should be concerned about in Europe because even the, the plots, while there's been less in 2018 and 17, for example, there's still far more than there were in 2014, say, or 2000. When, when I first started uh, studying this area, I mean, it was unusual if you got two or three successful attacks a year. And now that's just very much the norm. So our our standards, for want of a better word, have shifted, um, and we now expect a series of attacks. And if there isn't something cataclysmically devastating, 
then we view it as a positive. It's true. I, I mean, part of what prompted me to have this conversation with you was that the attack happened in Strasbourg, and I thought, oh, oh, this is the only one we've seen, but that shouldn't be the norm. Yeah, and 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 it's and you know there was also there was the. Uh, and I think another interesting thing, and, and again, I put it down to the fact that the the tempo of attacks over recent years has been so consistent, is that some of, well, for example, the there was a, a siege um, in a in a supermarket in the south of France in March earlier this year. I believe it was March. It was in the spring, um, and that was forgotten about almost as quickly as it happened. There's been lower level attacks in in Belgium and the Netherlands this year, which again, you know, it, 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 maybe people cover it for a day, but it doesn't really break through into into mainstream media um, kind of coverage. So that's part of the success, I suppose, of of the the jihad in Europe in recent years, is that it's become it's it's almost like part of the DNA of the continent now, which some people are would some people would say, well, that goes to show that Europe is an increasingly resilient continent. I don't view it in anything like as positive terms. I think it's an extraordinary uh, state of affairs where we just expect these things to happen. And do you think that the media plays a part in that, that perhaps because it's so expected, it's less sensationalized and therefore the media covers it less? The, well, the role of the media is, is it, it's really tricky, isn't it? Because there is, on one side, there would be, I mean, and, and my comments point to this a little bit, saying, well, I, I think that the media don't give these lower level attacks enough attention, right? The the butcher's bill at this point has to be so high for anybody to pay attention. That seems that seems a very unsatisfactory state of affairs. But then you also get people, and I, I disagree with them, but but so the logic goes, who say that by um, publicizing the names of the attackers, their faces and the rest of it, that it, it glorifies the entire Absolutely. thing. Absolutely. I, I understand that phenomenon more with, um, for example, school shooters who seem to be doing this, uh, and there's people who understand the psychology of this better than I do, but but there is there seems to be a reasonable argument to make that, that, it, that it's often driven by a desire for, um, attention and uh, notice and being noticed and 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 making a statement with the jihadi terrorist attacks that take place in Europe. I think it's a mistake to view them as a a cry for attention. I mean, the reason people, the reason this guy in Strasbourg uh, killed civilians in a, in a Christmas market in Strasbourg wasn't because he was looking for column inches. He did it because he has a very clear ideology and a very clear uh, – he, he, he thinks that he's going to be theologically rewarded for this. And so I, I feel at times that we – when we say that, oh, well, you know, this, these things wouldn't happen if the media didn't pay as much, much attention to them, I think it misreads what's really going on. So I'm looking at a chart right now from a report you wrote recently about terrorism in Europe, and it shows that France is the most targeted country for terror attacks. Why do you think that is? Yeah, well, so France is is for sure the most targeted. Um, why that is 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 a really interesting question because, look, on on one side you would say, um, well, France first of all, uh, there is obviously large segments, 
and you, and you go to the outskirts of Paris and you see this very clearly, but Paris isn't the only city, um, where integration has failed within Muslim communities, where obviously the ideology of um, Islamism has taken hold in which you can see that how it's a fertile ground for recruitment by groups like ISIS and Al-Qaeda. The fact that France is suchly, such a a fiercely secular nation, people would argue, um, presents Muslims with a, you know, like a false choice between secularism and, and ISIS. I mean, I suppose that's the conventional wisdom around it. And I certainly think France has had, obviously, has significant problems with integration. Um, but I do think there is a there is an interesting colliery to that. Um, I was in France, the last time I was there was... I think it was the beginning of last year of 2017. Um, I had a conversation with a French official, which I I, I thought was a really uh, interesting insight and one which I hadn't heard made before, which is that, I mean, so France doesn't measure the exact amount of of religious breakdown because it, it just chooses not to measure that in society because it doesn't view it as important, I guess, because of the, because of its focus on secularism. But, it's estimated that between 10 to 20% of the French army are Muslims. In the UK, by comparison, it's 0.3%. So France is obviously, for all it does wrong, and for all the criticism it gets around its, about its, its, its devotion to secularism, the idea that it's racist towards Muslims, the idea that um, uh, well, it's a racist society or an Islamic-phobic society and all these accusations that are made... The one thing it has done uniquely well, uniquely well in European countries, is um, persuade the Muslims of France that it's a country worth fighting and dying for. Um, and so I, I, I'm forever kind of struck by this this contrast in France, where you seem to have the most segregated and most isolated communities, yet at the same time some of the most patriotic. So. The most recent attacker in Strasbourg, was he part of ISIS? Well, ISIS have claimed responsibility for the attack, which they often do. Um, we don't know yet for sure, and I've not seen any evidence to suggest at the moment that he was a formal part of the group that he'd ever travelled to Syria or Iraq or any of the other areas they control territory. It seems to be at the moment it's... Um, he will have to see whether he... he it's sometimes these people that carry out attacks on ISIS's behalf record a video and it gets released online saying they're doing it on behalf of ISIS. That hasn't emerged yet. Um, so ISIS has claimed credit, maybe somewhat op- opportunistically, but the, the the attacker was inspired by the the ideology of ISIS almost certainly, even if there wasn't necessarily formal ties. I ask you about this because I I'm wondering about the threat from al-Qaeda still on the rise. I know you've written about that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Al-Qaeda, um, it's not as prominent in terms of attack planning in the West, I think, for tactical decisions. Um, but if you look at the strength of the group and the numbers, uh, it, it recruits in in uh, Yemen, in Syria, in Somalia, in parts of the Sahel. Um, Al-Qaeda has very significant numbers behind it still. Um, it has increasing experience with controlling territory with mixed success. Um, but there is a very, and I think quite a compelling argument that Al-Qaeda will, um, that has a, has a, 
a robustness and a and a support base that make it potentially a more enduring threat than ISIS. Although I also would stress that ISIS are still, uh, you know, a force to be reckoned with, especially in Iraq and Syria. So based on your research, we know there's a number of things that Europe can do. But in your opinion, what's the most important thing they can do to start to stop the deadly violence we're seeing? Well, I mean, if, you, if you're looking, I think if we look at this multi-generationally, yeah, I mean, the, the, there, there are obviously the, there's the practical side of things um, to do with intelligence sharing, uh, deporting national security threats who shouldn't be in the country, um, providing more funding to intelligence services in certain countries, prosecuting people, keeping them in jail longer, working on prison de-radicalization. All these sorts of things are important. I, I do think that probably the greater um, question, though, and the one that's much harder to fix, is addressing why these things happen and having quite a frank debate about it. Because at times there's a there's a great desire, I think, to focus on economics or politics, especially around foreign policy. Does foreign policy drive these attacks? Is it down to poverty in Muslim communities? Is it down to um, a, a failure uh, of multiculturalism, these kind of things? And those arguments are important to have and we should be aware of them. But it also kind of skirts around, I think, what's, what's the more fundamental question is that most of these, well, all of these guys say they do, do this for a very specific reason. And if you listen to um, either the jihadis themselves or, or um, former jihadis who have now recanted that, that previous life, they always emphasize the theology behind this. This is very difficult for governments to deal with, very difficult to know what to do about a very uncomfortable truth. Um, so I have some sympathy as when when we think of like how okay, well, what do you do about that, or what is the correct response to that? Um, but I do think that the the focus on the ideological and theological parts, we have more of a focus on the Islamist ideology, and and we have made progress on that on that front. Um, but it is a it's something which I think governments need to at least begin to try and wrestle with is like what do we do about this fact that so that the attacks so often they're so often rooted in a and you could say it's an incorrect interpretation of theology but it is a, the an interpretation what's the correct response from states to that and, and you know i don't know the answer but i would posit it as a question worth asking thank you so much robin my pleasure that's it for this week's episode of Heritage Explains. I'll go ahead and put a link to the charts I mentioned from Robin's research in our show notes. We'll be taking a break next week to enjoy Christmas with our families, and we'll be back with a new episode as we start the new year. If you enjoy this podcast, we ask that you consider a year-end gift of support. This enables us to continue giving the best conservative policy analysis on today's most critical issues. Just go to www.heritage.org Click the donate button at the top right-hand part of the page and make your tax-deductible gift today. Heritage Explains is produced by Michelle Cordero and Tim Desher with editing by Thalia Rampersad.
Do conversations about the Supreme Court leave you scratching your head? Then subscribe to SCOTUS 101, a podcast breaking down the cases, personalities, and gossip at the Supreme Court.